welcome. You've made it to uh, What Divines Us. I'm you Rabbi. made it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're here. <laughs> uh, I'm Rabbi Abram Goodstein. I'm Reverend Matthew Schultz. And we're glad that you're here. Uh, so, uh, Matt, what are we talking about today? Well, that depends. And we'll see where the tangents take us. <laughs> I might want to talk about Batman, but Love I think, think we're starting out with Easter and Passover. Though I'm more of a Marvel guy than a DC. Well, me too. Okay, me too. Okay. My thesis statement is <laughs> Batman sucks. <laughs> what? <laughs> Well, I want to stay there for I, I want to explore that for a while, but we're not really like a superheroes podcast. Yeah, we're... but we could be. Let's get to that at the end. <laughs> okay, we'll get to that at okay. the end. Okay, why Batman sucks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, and and maybe it might contain spoilers to the new Spider-Man movie, No Way Home. Have you seen that yet? I, no, I've, I've seen the other two that have come out. Oh, I have not maybe seen we no wait till you've wait, seen that. Why would the Batman... Because what sucks about Batman is what's awesome about the newest Spider-Man movie. How do you watch the newest Spider-Man? Is it out in theaters? I uh, we I, I, saw it in the brief window of hope between Delta and Omicron. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so I love we that, went out and saw it in the window. theaters. Yeah. Now yeah. you can watch it on all of your streaming services, but they charge. You have to rent it for however much. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll go home and see if I can watch it. I do like the Spider-Mans. Yeah. Okay. Spider-Mans. Spider-Mans. Spider-Man. spider <laughs> is it Spider-Verse after all? Spider-People? I don't, I don't know. We're, we're on tangent already. We yeah, did you ba- see Into the Spider-Verse, the animated one? Of course I did. Yeah, so there was the Gwen Stacy, so it should yeah. be Spider-People. Yeah, yeah good yes. point. Good point. Anyway, so, <laughs> Easter. East, right, okay. So, okay, all right, listeners. So, uh, Passover and Easter are, are coming right around the corner. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Passover starts the night of April 15th this year. So, I think we should start with Passover, not Easter, because Easter is an outgrowth thereof. Okay. So, so okay. let's get the foundation yeah. set before we go to the, uh, to the offshoot. Yes, yes. Uh, Passover. So, even the name Passover I find really interesting. You know... Uh, it's funny because the word uh, the word Hebrew comes from the word like kind of like Eve read those who passed over the Jordan is the idea for the word Hebrew. Oh, yeah, I, had, I didn't know that. that. If I crazy? if I learned that, I forgot. But, that's cool. But that's at the yeah. Passover. I think Passover is referring to. I think Passover is referring to the the the, the angel of death right. passing over homes of the Jewish people. <laughs> is that the only holiday named after the angel of death's activities? <laughs> it might be. I never thought of it like that. No, before. me neither. But that's kind of funny. <laughs> Thanks, Death, for skipping us. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, Passover, I, I would say, like, you know, when it comes to, uh, like, a, a priority or hierarchy of, of Jewish holidays, I put Shabbat, like, square there on the top. Yeah. After that, probably Yom Kippur. And I would say, like, Passover maybe is close to or ties with Rosh Hashanah in terms of important holidays for the Jewish people. So, okay. it's a big one. It's a big one for us. Yeah. Um, and it always happens um, in the, uh, I would say, springtime. Uh, the Jewish calendar is is interesting and weird it's part solar part lunar i think i mentioned that before in previous podcasts so that means passer will never fall on the same on the same day every year but it always falls in the same season but that'll cycle through so eventually it'll be back on the same day right well, you're kind of comparing when you're dealing with like two different calendars, like a, yeah. a Gregorian slash Caesarian calendar. Am okay. I saying that right? I feel like I'm saying that sure. right. Sure, we'll say you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Compared to a Jewish calendar, it, it, there is no real cycling. It just okay. like it just like it just hits random days. Gotcha. Every every year, our holidays do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, and so like for example, this this particular Jewish calendar year is a leap year. Uh, which means we have a whole extra month called Adar 2. Right, right. Yeah. You did mention that last time, yeah. I think. So, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, so, okay, so so there's that. But now, it's always springtime. It's always springtime, thank you, yeah. And so Passover is actually really fascinating because, you know, you would think that most, like, 
religious holidays are to be celebrated at a religious institution, aka uh-huh. a church or a synagogue. You know how that is? Like, yeah, yeah. Us clergy, we like that to happen. You know, we we have we have financial reasons right. for that. How else are we gonna sell tickets? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, but really, uh, Passover is more of an at-home holiday. Right. Now, if for that being said, we definitely celebrate Passover at our synagogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but 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 still, like it's really set up to be an at-home holiday. So we'll get to that in a moment, the at-home uh, stuff that you do. But you said you also do it at the synagogue. What does that look like? Is that a worship right. service kind of thing? It's different. Uh, so uh, essentially, we what we do, Passover is eight days if you're outside of Israel, seven if you're in. Uh, and well, really? You yeah, get an no. extra day? We get an extra day. I, I'm not thrilled by that, but okay. yes. <laughs> you'll, you'll, in a moment, you'll know why I'm not thrilled by that. Okay. But right. yeah, uh, and so usually we, uh, for the for our, we call it the community Seder. I'll, yeah. get, I'll get to what Seder means in a moment too. But for our community Seder, which is our which is when we have Passover at the synagogue, that's always on the second night, not the first night of Passover. And holiday Jewish holidays start in the evening, right? Uh, so, um, so the first night is for like that is the biggest. It's actually the probably the most popular of nights to celebrate Passover. Mm-hmm. Um, so most people celebrate Passover on the first night. Not everyone celebrates on the second night. Um, but that's when we have our Seder. So, so we literally, we, we literally plan our Seder around people having the first night of Passover at their homes. Okay. Uh, but yeah, but the community Seder, we change the sanctuary. We take, we take all the chairs out and we put tables in there instead. So mm-hmm. we literally like create kind of like a, a table experience yeah, yeah. in our sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then we kind of go through, we, we, we go through it while people are sitting around these, around a bunch of tables. Nice. Yeah. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So then at the homes, is it uh, the Seder meal? Is that the same for community and family? Or do you have separate events for those? Or is it not really meant to be a community-wide thing? Is it more just individual families celebrate? Yes. Yes to all of the above. Okay. Lots of families will, like, invite other families over to enjoy, you know, to have a Seder, to have, like, a, a community, to the Seder together. Mm-hmm. And Seder really just means order in Hebrew. Okay. Uh, and we call it Seder. And we, I mean, we're very literal. It means the order of pa- the order of how you celebrate Passover, what you do in a very specific way, which I'll get to soon as well. Um, and so that's that's sort of, like, the uh, the idea is that you, you it's like, a, it's like a, think of it like Thanksgiving. Okay. You know, where like you bring in family and friends and usually in Thanksgiving there's some you usually have like, a tradition of going to some person's house every Thanksgiving, you know what I mean? Yeah. Same yep. idea with Passover. Like usually everyone has it all figured out already that uh, Gotcha. That you're going to someone's house or you're you're the house that's, that's Or you said like we went to your family's house last time, we're going to my family's exactly. house. Exactly. You have a rotation kind of going uh-huh. on. Yeah. Okay. It's that it's like it's like Thanksgiving rules. Gotcha. It's how Passover works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so what so what happens is that you essentially Passover is essentially a, a tableau, if you will, of the experience of the Israelites getting out of Egypt. Right. Uh, so there's there is a deep Jewish narrative that Jews were once slaves mm-hmm. uh, in, in Egypt and that we we were freed. We were freed as slaves. So we have like a slave narrative um, in our tradition. Right. Uh, and uh, and so what we do is that we we reenact the experience of leaving of leaving Egypt and, and, and wandering the Sinai every year mm-hmm. uh, for Passover. So it's the Exodus story. Using food props. Yeah, we, we, we engage the senses. <laughs> nice. In, or, in, or, in well, order. that sounds way smarter than food props. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does sound, yes. But they are quite propish. You're, you're right. Like, uh, uh, there's something called a Seder plate. Yeah. Um, uh, which actually my, my wife makes as a potter. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you can find her things for sale at <laughs> www.goodsteinceramics.com. <laughs> All right. But, uh, but she actually figured out how to actually mass produce them, which is pretty cool. So, okay. Um, but cool. yeah, uh, that, uh, 
but so the Seder plate has these different components on it that represent sort of the experience. You know, for example, there's parsley there, and then there's like salt water, and you take the parsley, you dip it in the salt water, you eat it. It's like the tears. Okay. You know, of, yeah, of, yeah. Uh, so like that's kind of it's all representative. You there's uh-huh. usually an egg on a cider plate, um, which is sort of like representing a rebirth or you know renewal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little bit of debate what should be on a cider plate, uh, which is hilarious. Do you think you know a tradition that has that's been thousands of years old would have that thing set set that stuff set in stone? That's just more but time for disagreements. The, <laughs> quite the opposite. Exactly right. Thank yeah. you. I mean, you're really getting it. You know, like <laughs> the longer something goes on, the more you have time to argue yeah. about it. Uh, yeah. And so there's there's that. But uh, I think I think one of the coolest things. About Passover is something called the Haggadah, okay, which in Hebrew means literally the legend, mm-hmm. and the, and the Haggadah is a is like a, essentially a book that helps you get through the Passover Seder. And Matt, I actually actually brought one. Oh, nice! Um, so I'm gonna, I, I know like you can't. No one All can the see listeners it, will. So I'm just gonna yeah. describe what I'm doing. Okay. I'm taking out Haggadah from my my bag and I'm handing it over to Matt for Matt to see. And I'm just gonna. I confirm des- that I've been handed the Haggadah. I'm just gonna describe Matt's face. That's you, what it sounds like. I, I see elation. I see surprise. Wow! <laughs> no, so, that is cool though. Yeah, I, I actually brought you a small one. Um, so what I love about Passover is it really is a, it expresses what I would call Jewish creativity. And so there are a gazillion different Haggadah Haggadah Oat. And can I tell you one thing just looking at this initially and yeah. I can reach up on my shelf here. Matt's getting up. He's, he's, he's <laughs> looking at his bookshelf right now. We're in his office by the way in case you need to know that for your uh, while you're listening. And oh, I have he's handing me a book right now. Oh, it has like one of those cross. It has like a what is that cool? Like a little like Celtic cross? Embossed. Like an embossed cross. cross. Yeah, Ooh. and it's um, it, it's um, the book of occasional services so, and the reason my expression, Matt. Whoa, pensive, pensive and thoughtful. <laughs> it's uh, the reason I handed that to you is because the formatting of the of the text the in this book is so similar. I love the red and and and, and black formatting of. of, of it must yeah. have been the, like maybe the same publishing house, but it says <laughs> you know if you do this, you can say one of these three yes, options. If yeah. you do that, one of these five, it's almost like a choose your own adventure book. Yeah, kind of yeah. like the Haggadah. So choose your own Haggadah. Choose your own adventure. So yeah, so there's just like a gazillion Haggadahs out there. You can go online and make and there's Lots of websites to help you make your own Haggadah. They have to have like a certain thing like, that, like the Seder or AKA the order has to be mm-hmm. the same, um, which, you know, which I'm showing Matt right now, the, the order, which there's like 12 steps uh-huh. essentially to Passover. Yeah. Um, so every, every Haggadah shows you that kind of has the 12 steps, but whatever you do around that is, is like, you know, you, however you want to do it. Okay. Whatever you make your own or whether you choose one of you, you have. Yeah. So, so the Haggadah is really a, an expression of Jewish creativity. And that also... Does that walk you through the story it of does. the Exodus? It okay. does, yes, right. yeah. Um, so telling the story of Exodus is actually literally in the Haggadah. Okay. Like, literally, it says, now, this is a step where we tell the story of Exodus, you know, right. and then you go and tell a story. Okay. Um, so that's, that's like, that's part of the process of, of Passover, is that you, you, you experience it, and then uh, you experience what it's like to be slaves, and then to, to be free. Wow. Uh, so yeah, and there's lots That's of cool. interesting like traditions in the um, the Haggadah. For example, you're supposed to drink four cups of wine. Well, sure, four and if you cups. make a mistake, you have to start from the beginning, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, of course, of course. It's not how we all think about that. Yeah, yeah, but like you know, uh, when we talk about in the about the ten plagues in the story of uh-huh. we, what we do is that we actually take a, our finger, we put it in a cup of wine, get a drip off of it, and put it on our plate ten times for each plague oh. to lessen the joy. 
to lessen the amount of wine to get because of how horrible the plagues are, right? So yeah, yeah. we have a little, like, many traditions that's, that I think are, like, thousands of year old, to be honest, um, within the the, the Haggadah mm-hmm. or, the pro- or the Seder, the process of telling the story and experiencing Passover um, that we all do. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So... So the food then that's on the plate as part of that telling of the story, yeah. like you mentioned how you interact with the wine, I assume the other objects on the plate all have some type of meaning. Yeah, some part yeah. Of the and tale. there's now like people now put new objects on uh-huh. um, one that's relatively new in terms of Judaism, but um, is an orange. People okay. will put an orange, and it can represent uh, inclusiveness, you know, and LGBTQ sort of like um, community. Okay. All will we'll all. Why does the orange represent that? It's, it's, this is apocryphal. Uh, the story is apocryphal, but okay. but uh, I don't. I, I, essentially, this, the idea was that once uh, and uh, a while back, back before there were like women rabbis, uh-huh. um, some some stuffy rabbi once said there will be an orange on a seder plate before there'll be a woman rabbi. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's true. Yeah, but that's what. Well, because oranges didn't reach Europe until after yeah, Columbus, this is, right? I would say I would say this is like I don't know. 50 years ago. Okay. You know okay. what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh, which is really recent when you think about how old Judaism is. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but that's sort of like, the, the idea is that the the orange now represents, I, I would say, inclusiveness. And is that food on the plate, sorry to keep on asking questions, no. but uh, all that food on the plate is there for, uh, you know, a retelling of the ancient yeah, story, yes. but... Is it also your meal for the night, or do you no, do that no. stuff and then they're like, okay, and now here's You're the actual really food? You're not really supposed to eat the food on the seder plate. Okay. For example, there's a shank bone on the seder plate. Yeah, that wouldn't be too you tasty. You don't want to yeah. eat that. Yeah, yeah. And it's the like shank, you know, the parsley was great, but I'm going to need that seconds. Shank bone. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it's symbolic. It's okay. A sim- it, so in addition to that, then you would have a family meal. Right. There's okay. a moment in the Haggadah where it says, now it's time to eat. Okay. Uh, and that's when you have the meal. Matzah ball soup, very popular. Okay. Um, but that uh, could be, realistically, just whatever y'all choose. Yeah. Okay. But there are rules about what you're allowed to eat during Passover. All which right. is why I don't necessarily like the eight-day situation. Oh, yeah. Right. So you're not allowed to eat anything with leavening. In okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, or, or any grain. Of okay. the five grains, right? Which gotcha. I can never remember what the five are. I'm going to try to turn uh, them right now. We'll okay. see how well I go. So it, so that, that's wheat, barley, oat, and then I don't remember. There's two more that I'm always missing. Crackle pop. <laughs> <laughs> wheat, barley, oat, uh, spelt, uh, and there's now there's... I couldn't tell you, man. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> What's that fifth one? Especially since my wife started eating gluten-free. I don't I try to I avoid all the grains. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> okay. I'll figure it out one day. It's a ra- big rabbi fail right now, and I can't think of all five <laughs> at the moment. It's always, it, one always eludes me. Anyways. Uh, and also leavening. You're not yeah, yeah. Anything that leavens. So so we eat a special thing called matzah. Yeah. I think matzah has become quite famous. People kind of know what matzah is. Right, right. It's a big, really tasteless... Uh, cracker, mm-hmm. if you will. So uh, uh, dovetailing into my Catholic upbringing, yeah. we had unleavened bread as our communion bread. Uh-huh. And yeah, it was very tasteless. It was just blech, like eating a little piece of cardboard. Yeah, yeah. I and I think that tradition grew out of your tradition you're referring I, to there. Only the ima- yeah. yeah. My son loves matzo. He'll just like take it. Really? Grab one, take it down. I'm That's like, funny. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, so uh, we're commanded to eat matzah during uh-huh. during the Passover Seder once, there's a, where we say a blessing over it. Okay. We eat it. If you're gluten free, we al- we also have there's also gluten free matzahs out there. Okay. I think it tastes better, honestly, than yeah. than glutinous matzah. Um, but glutinous matzah <laughs> sounds like a. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sounds like it would have uh, been one of the Pokemon so, characters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right. Well, like, well, you know, I, uh, I think I, I maybe eat matzah for the Passover Seder meal, and that's really the only time I have matzah that week. But I know people that like just they make matzah pizza, they make okay. matzah this, matzah this. Yeah. Pitch the matzah, the thing with matzah and eggs, like you know. Uh, so like you know, people will just like consume tons of matzah throughout the entire yeah. the entire eight days. I'm I, I avoid you know the five grains, but I don't necessarily consume matzah mm-hmm. matzah. I mean, mostly because my wife's also gluten free, and so we have the only thing that we have in our house really is oats that we have to worry about. All right, yeah. yeah. Is that and and how much overlap is there between those? rules of eating and if someone were to be kosher entirely throughout their whole life would they also need to make an adjustment for passover diet yeah okay yeah that's more restrictive than than just yeah anything straight up anything that you're not supposed to eat is called chametz okay yeah so you're supposed to get rid of all the chametz in your home uh-huh. um all the crumbs there's a whole little thing really? where you try to find crumbs in, in the pantry with a little candle and a feather a whole like a wow weird, okay. this, this one isn't like a, a, a like a, a widely I don't know I think it's a widely used tradition but mm-hmm. many people will, will like specifically try to find crowns with a candle and a and a uh, that's cool feather. I like that part of, image like, like how detail oriented yeah, yeah. I can picture you, you can, have um, to be, like have your nose up close to it to really get yeah, the you, fine uh, yeah. you can sell your hummets for like a dollar to uh, someone who's not Jewish and okay. then buy it and then buy it back Oh, really? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, people will burn their hummets sometimes, yeah. Wow, how about that? Yeah, I had a crazy idea. It's totally, like, uh, heretical, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I, I would love to, like, start, like, a food truck, like, and then, like, call it hummets during Passover. Uh, <laughs> and then go around, like, hey, everyone. But I don't know. That's probably, a rabbi doing that is probably not a great idea. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and you're probably limiting your, your base of sales. <laughs> Just, just bake bread in it all day yeah. and wander around Jewish homes. They yeah. got some comments. You know? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to think of any other like fun, fun Passover facts. Uh, well, I have another question. Yeah, if that's okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the deal with saving a place setting for Elijah? Ooh, I, I think of Elijah is kind of like the, the the Jewish Santa, if you will. Okay. Especially on Passover. So, so in the Haggadah, and I, I'm I'm pointing I'm, I'm pointing to the Haggadah right now, just mm-hmm. FYI. Uh, in the Haggadah, there's a moment where you open the door for Elijah. Yeah. Now, Elijah is a really fascinating character in Judaism. I, I love him. Um, essentially, in the in the Bible, Elijah doesn't really die. Right. Right. He, yeah. he, he kind of just like up goes, he goes. <laughs> up he goes. And that and, and that has like, I don't know, exploded in sort of the Jewish the Jewish mind about like what Elijah is. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's this whole there's a whole thing that like Elijah's the guy that's gonna tell you uh, that the Messiah is coming. Yeah. Right? He's, he's like he's like the prophet for the for the Messiah. You know, I, I mean reformed Judaism is not messianic like at all. We don't really talk about the Messiah. But it's still a thing in Judaism right. where the, we're still the, we're still waiting on the Messiah essentially. And uh, and so Elijah will be the guy. Uh, in the Talmud where a lot of scholars and rabbis are just arguing about Jewish stuff, if they can't come to a, a, a conclusion that they like, they'll say, oh, Elijah will tell us, right? So they oh, often nice. leave unanswerable <laughs> questions to Elijah. That's like in the right. uh, the Far Side comic where they have a very complex physics problem, and right in the middle it says, then a miracle happens. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and the other scientists Elijah's are like, I want to focus on this step here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, if you're doing, often when I'm doing a baby naming, there's a chair that's empty, it's for Elijah. Oh. So Elijah can be available to witness this Jewish baby. 
Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then in Passover, you open the door for Elijah. Now, one of my favorite sketches of all time on Saturday Night Live, uh, Seinfeld was hosting. And they did that at a Seder meal. They opened the door and... He comes walking in and Seinfeld playing Elijah. He's like, hey, guys, I'm here for, for the food. Great. <laughs> and they go on and he's actually kind of a terrible guest and it becomes really awkward. But it's, <laughs> so it's funny. very funny. Yeah. And then partway through, the doorbell rings and he's like, hey, it's the Messiah. And he goes up and lets in Jesus and they all hang out together. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That is hilarious. But yeah, so, uh, but the, the other thing too is that there's always like a cup for Elijah, like a, like a wine glass for okay. Elijah um, on like the table yeah. of a Passover Seder. It's Elijah's cup. So, so funny story. Uh, when I was a kid, um, I, I loved opening the door for Elijah. It was like my it was like my job. So nice. you know, I go to you know they're like it's time to go to open the door for Elijah. I go open the door for Elijah, and then um, I come back, and Elijah's cup would be empty. And my dad's like, "You just missed him. Uh. Like he came right through. <laughs> he drank the wine, and he left." Sorry, Abram, you missed you missed Elijah. So now you said that he's like the the Jewish Santa Claus. Yeah. And on Christmas Eve, we set out milk and cookies for yeah. Santa. And of yeah. course, once the kids go to bed, <laughs> spoiler alert, kids turn off the podcast. <laughs> once the kids go to bed, we eat the milk and cookies. And right. so that's really funny. There's that well, same overlap. I had no idea that my dad was drinking the wine until right. I was an adult. Did I just did I just break it to you? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> was it my dad this whole time? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so so uh, yeah, and so we have Elijah as a whole component for this. Yeah, um, and like Elijah also is like in, in a lot of Jewish storytelling, he's sort of like the he's a stranger. He's the myster- he's the magical stranger that kind of makes things happen. Oh, you know? cool. Uh, All right. So yeah, he is. Yeah, I like Elijah. <laughs> yeah, he but, sounds like a cool character. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, in rabbi school, I once posited that Elijah was actually a talking raven. Well, sure. I got laughed out of my class for that one, but okay. I still think it's. I, don't, I love that theory. But anyways, <laughs> anyways, that's uh, uh, we've gone. We've gone down a little bit of a of a tangent there. But yeah, so of a rabbit hole. <laughs> and speaking of rabbits, oh no, Easter bunnies are a tradition. <laughs> Let's talk about Easter. <laughs> well, not not so, if you're not done. If there was more you wanted right. to hit on with Passover, uh, I think I don't know. I feel like I've hit like some of the the, the big the big points. We discussed okay. Masa, Seder, Haggadah. Yeah, then we hit. Well, the, we can always cycle back if we need to. Yeah, if I think of anything, we'll cycle back. Yes. Um, or is so, it circle back? Uh, circle back. I don't know. Well, we'll holla back. Holla back. Holla back, y'all. Yes. We'll holla back if we have to. Which we can't uh, eat, by the way, during Passover. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, I in my head, I had always linked it to Passover, but then, yeah, I've realized now it's not. All right. We'll talk about what challah bread is for later. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Easter um, then grows out of this tradition. Jesus returned to Jerusalem with his disciples for the Passover festival. So theoretically, that time in history, a lot of people would make their way back into Jerusalem to the temple to go through all the various traditions there and uh-huh. to worship in the temple itself. So Jesus, being being a rabbi, did the same with his with his group and had that Passover meal on Thursday. Hold on. Yes. Jesus as a rabbi. Well, here you go. A rabbi, or did they just call him rabbi because he taught? That's a good question. Who calls Jesus a rabbi? The disciples. They do. Uh Mary and Martha uh, in particular. I'm trying to think if any of them men did, but the women certainly did and and, uh, sort of took on the role of students sitting at the feet of the one who is teaching. Was Jesus literate? That is a great question. I would say yes. So right off the bat in Luke 4, when he begins his ministry, he opens the scroll and reads from them at the temple. Uh At the temple? 
Is that where he was? He was he was at a synagogue at a worship service. Unrolled the scroll, read from it, then rolls it back up and puts it away. So yes, he was. There's a story later where he writes something on the ground, but they never tell you what. That's kind of a spooky mystery. Mm. Uh, so yeah, there, there are a lot of people who would say he was a rabbi, meaning a reading and teaching and leading teacher of a community. Others may say he just is referred to as teacher by his followers. I'm, I'm as also, an I'm, I'm not convinced that rabbis actually existed at that time. Oh, there you go. Okay. So <laughs> was, then, I think yeah. it was the Pharisees who I know have a bad rap in the New Testament. Well, there's also uh, also those who believe that Jesus was a Pharisee. Right. And but, so yeah. He, yeah. And the Pharisees kind of are like the proto-rabbis. Yeah. So he may have been that. Uh, but when they do call him rabbi or rabboni, which would be the Aramaic, I think, version uh-huh. of the same word, um, are they saying rabbi as teacher and leader? Right, right. Like a, as a title or is it simply describing what he did for them as one who taught? Sure. And that's not clear. Okay. So um, I lost track of where I was, but he, oh yeah, he was there with his group uh, uh, on a field trip to Jerusalem for Passover and uh, they said, we're going to celebrate the Passover meal. So they, they went and um, they had what we now call the Last Supper. Uh, he didn't call it that at the time because he didn't want to spoil it. For yeah, the, it's always referred to as supper. It's yeah. not like, I, like if I were to say the, the last dinner, no one having any idea what I'm talking about, that's, right? That's a good point, and yeah. I don't know where that terminology <laughs> came from. Just old school talking, I guess, because back in the, the olden days of English, <laughs> didn't dinner used to mean lunch and then I, supper? I feel was like yeah, I feel yeah. like supper was like a specific time, like a more tea time dinner. Supper yeah. they all happened at a certain last time. brunch. Last the last brunch, <laughs> boy, boy, the last midnight snack. Uh, whatever it was, they went and had a Passover uh, celebration. Again, some people frame it this way. I don't think this is uh, embraced by all, but that the Passover meal back in that time would have had bread and wine and lamb. And then at that meal, there was just bread and wine mentioned. And so the lamb becomes Jesus as the sacrificial lamb in that story. Huh. Now, that's not that's not accepted by all people. Not everyone likes well, that if analogy. It, there would be like a lamb shank somewhere nearby. And there wasn't one mentioned in the gospel stories. And so they would say, oh, that's because Jesus fills that role of the sacrificial lamb in this story. Which is kind of cool. Even if it wasn't intended, it works as a, as a symbolic uh, measure. So then in this story, Jesus is then crucified and dies. He's buried. And then on the third day, uh, the tomb's giant rock is, has been rolled away and Jesus emerges uh, resurrected from that time. So that's Easter is celebrating that Sunday morning resurrection moment. Okay. okay. Um, and uh, again, Mary. Uh, anyone, is, there, is there anyone who witnessed the rock being moved? Well, here we go. We have four gospels. And they have varying and various descriptions of the things that happened. There were guards posted there. I'm trying to remember if they actually saw it or if they were like looking one minute and then looked away and looked back and there it wasn't. You know, it had been rolled. Maybe the guards moved the Those, well, see, there was, uh, they were then kind of paid off and like told by their superiors, tell everyone that robbers came and moved it away and stole the And the guards are Roman, right? Yeah. Uh Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and so they, you know, were not followers of Jesus, and they were just like, okay, I don't want to get involved in this, and this is going to be a big mess, and so I lost track of where I was. But yeah, so no, there was not that, um, but then Mary and Martha are women, not Mary, the mother of Jesus. There are okay. lots of Marys in the gospel, okay, real okay. common name. And so they they went racing up to, on Sunday morning, I'm sorry, not racing, they went up very solemnly uh. because from their perspective, 
game over, we lost. And they're pious. They're very pious. Right. So yeah. they went up to perform the ceremonial anointing and preparation of the body and do the things you're supposed to do according to this is, okay, faithful so, due so diligence. What's, what's fascinating is the three-day thing really gets me because yeah. uh, when uh, someone who's Jewish just dies, uh-huh. we are commanded to get, to get their body into the ground at the maximum of three days. Now, Jesus' body was already in the ground. Great. And then they were doing other, you know, preparation stuff ceremonially. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, but he, they went up to do those things. And by the time they got there, the, the stone had been rolled away. And various stories will say something along the lines of Mary is there crying and Jesus is there, but she doesn't recognize him. And this is a common uh, repeated concept throughout the post-resurrection stories that the people who Jesus uh, appears to, they don't recognize him always at first. Hmm. And there might be a, a brief conversation and then their eyes are opened and they're like, holy crap, look, it's you. You know what this reminds me of? Huh? Elijah. So Crazy. does he do that too where you don't recognize him? Yeah, he's yeah. often a stranger. Well, there's also a lot of overlap between the Jesus tropes and the Elijah tropes and uh-huh. that's intentional. Now, depending on your theology, you would say that's either intentional by God, or you might also say that's intentional by those who wrote down the gospel stories. Right. That'll depend on your theology. Um, but yeah, there's definitely connections drawn, uh, particularly, for instance, in the gospel of Matthew, you're doing a lot of work to try to show the continuity between Judaism and Christianity. Uh, gospel of John is a lot more sectarian and like we're no longer part of the traditions. Well, he wouldn't say it that much, but you know, there's, there's more of a differentiation being sure, drawn by the gospel sure. of John. Um, but yeah, to say Jesus and Elijah have a lot of parallels and Jesus and Moses have a lot of parallels. And so Passover, of course, there's a lot of overlap between Moses and Elijah in Passover tradition. So, of course, in Easter as well. Easter in other languages, not English and not German, but in a lot of other languages will be some form of the word Passover, like Pasha. Oh. Um, and and so that's... Actually, tr- Easter always, always struck me as interesting... Easter. Depending on who you talk to, the word Easter will come from the German word for East, which I think is also the word for the dawn, like a brand new day, ah. sunrise. Um, I think. I don't speak German, but I think those those are the same word, or at least there's a synon- synonym overlap. And then uh, there's also some who say it's from a goddess of rebirth, I think, in like kind of Celtic history. I think the German etymology has more of a sound academic basis to it, if I remember correctly. But I, I'm not 100% sure. Okay. So, yeah. But if we, even the word East in our language, I think has has some of those same overtones okay. of, of rebirth. That makes sense, right? Sunrise, yeah, new yeah. birth, which is also why bunnies and eggs are part of the symbology of the holiday because we have, you know, eggs, of course, are new life. And I mentioned the, um, the tomb and the stone being rolled away, that's yeah. an important image, but also that's where eggs come from too, like the darkness of the tomb and you crack out of it to have new life emerging, uh, right? Okay. Um, Easter egg rolling contest, they say, might be kind of part of that so too, the rolling point of out the that, tomb. That Matt moving his hand in an interesting way. Oh yeah, that's, uh, that you roll an egg with a stick. I uh. myself have never done this, but, <laughs> but the White House does every year on the day after Easter. Okay. Those, the White House Easter egg. I don't think they call it Easter egg anymore. They just call it egg rolling. It's uh. like, you know, Interfaith egg. <laughs> Anyone want to? Eggs with like, like, yeah. the, like the little like Israeli flag on them. They're rolling down. I, I, Someone's <laughs> there as the non-specific theology bunny. <laughs> 
the Gnostic theology farm animals. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, so that's um, uh, basically where, where those things come from over a long period of time. Sometimes they are, you know, kind of grafted in from other faith traditions. Uh, the Easter lily is, I think, one of those as well, just because as a flower, it, it's dormant under the soil and then pops out around springtime during Passover or Easter. And so they, you know, that's kind of come into things. I think those are the main ones, you know, and you've heard of Easter baskets. That just goes back to traditions that people started doing for fun. What is that with the, with the I know it's like, when, like, when I ever see pictures of people like celebrating Easter, a lot of pastel colors. Yeah. I think that's just springtime, you know? It just looks ah. like spring colors, like when the new flowers are coming up. They, they have that kind of pastel look to it. Eventually, these things get codified. You know, it's like sure. it kind of oh, starts boy. bubbling up little boy, by little. I know that, yeah. But then all once it happens, like, for instance, describe Santa Claus's outfit to me. Uh, red and white. There you go. That is a production of the Coca-Cola Company International. No way. Yeah. And so no other way. cultures, he wears green. I think Father what? Christmas in England tends to be much more in a, like a green velvety thing. If you look at the Narnia books, he shows up and kids in our culture would be like, who's that supposed to be? Is, oh is that God. like, is that someone from Hogwarts or something, right? <laughs> and so, um, but the red and the white version that you, that people picture in their head when you first yeah, say Santa like furry, Claus. Like fuzzy, like furry. Like, yeah. yeah. I think the red and the white motif was present here and there, but it wasn't the dominant one. But of course, Coca-Cola liked it because it matched their corporate colors. And so they went with what? that. But they had a... Just a really popular artist did a popular series of paintings about it. I forget his name. I apologize. But, um, you know, they're lovely. They're really fun illustrations. They caught on. Advertising, marketing is global, and it got all over the place. And now that's what Santa looks like. Boom. Said and done, right? In real life, he was Turkish. So he didn't even look like the Caucasian Wait, dude he had. he now, was Turkish? Yeah, St. Nicholas. And he was kind of a badass. He was at a um, uh, council of Nicaea, I believe it was, where they were talking about the the nature of who Jesus was. And he straight up decked a dude for not he having the right guy. theology. Yeah, Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Santa, Santa Claus punched the guy. Wow, it's wrong. <laughs> Easter here. Man. I know you get off, but the the point of that being, some t- these things usually start off cloudy and human beings are goofy because we try to make that which is we are goofy. fluid we are into goofy something bunch. that's solid. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I'm quoting Bruce Lee from a movie there. You shouldn't take that which is intended to be fluid and make it solid. Yeah. It, it, there's no need for that. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's a, a bunch of the Eastern traditions. But at the heart of it, it is resurrection. Jesus pointing the way to... Uh, life conquering death and God's eternal hope and bringing of life to all things, even that which is dead in that viewing our own death, not as the end. When we die, we have this hope that there is more beyond because in our faith story, we witness it. Yeah. 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 So what's tell me about like sort of like the, uh, the church experience of, of Easter. Uh, it's the big, happy, joyful day okay. <laughs> for sure. Okay. So a lot of trumpets, uh, handles. Trumpets. Yeah. It's a happy sound from way, way back. You know, it's not like, um, that's part of the tradition you inherit, but I love it cause it's fun and boy, does it fill a room, you know? Do you like trumpeteers who come in? Depends on the church and what you have available to you. Our, <clears throat> excuse me, our most recent, uh, choir director was also a trumpet player. And so he could just uh, you know, go and have fun with it. It was really great. And this coming year, we also have a member of the church that plays the trumpet. He'll be doing it again. So it's very celebratory sound and happy. The whole day is celebratory 
joyful. The music is all upbeat. The famous Handel's Messiah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. That's if if you have a choir that can handle it, you'll be singing that. Uh Um, We have in the past this year with COVID, our choir is not quite up and running yet. You know, and that particular piece, of course, is challenging, and so uh, we're not going to be able to do that this year. But there's a lot of traditions around that, like. The pastor often will start off by saying, Christ is risen, and the whole place responds, he is risen indeed, but joyful. Does everyone know to respond that way? Not always, but if you oh, miss man. the first one, you'll catch it for you know, uh, the 10th and once. 11th and 12th. Right? It, Eventually, it, it becomes a bit like, oh, again? All right, are we still doing this? All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really is the happiest day of the church year combined with Christmas. You know, The okay. two of them are the big celebrations. Now, just three days before, we had Good Friday, and the night before that, Maundy Thursday, these are the Sad days, you know, we're okay. much more uh, mournful because they're 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 recognizing and commemorating the the tragic parts of the story. I mean, I'm sensing like like a kind of like an emotional journey here. Yes, and, it's, yeah. and experiencing these these holidays. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. And and Lent is that six week period beforehand, so it is an emotional journey, which is often liturgically and through the sermons you you utilize the physical journey that Jesus made to walk to Jerusalem. And so sure. it's it's a community spiritual journey toward this culminating moment. And like good storytelling often does, even in Hollywood nowadays, it's darkest before the dawn, right? We think all is lost. And then right when you think it's 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 all lost, uh, Gandalf returns to Helm's Deep and everyone's super happy again. That Gandalf. Gandalf <laughs> white, apparently. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> So that's Eastern uh, in an eggshell, not a nutshell. Okay. Wow. Next, that's, uh, there we go. That's Eastern. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think we have any more questions. I, I don't, yeah, I think that's really, I mean, there are there any other, like, so there's Trump, are there any other things besides, we talked about. Well, Easter lilies I mentioned will right. often have those in the sanctuary as, as you know, uh, fun visual elements. Uh, we like to focus a lot of the time on kids. It's a fun, you know, day right, for the kids. So right. we might do special things for them. Um Easter baskets, you know, and candy. We'll do stuff of that a nature. Candy. A lot of peeps seem to be a big thing. Yep. And again, that's, <laughs> believe it or not, that's not in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> peeps, yeah. Yep. There's not a peep about them in the Bible. <laughs> they uh, That's just marketing and people like it and it's fun. So I, I got no problem with it, but it's it's certainly not scriptural. And yeah. so, but, but, so, but Easter has to be tacked on to the Jewish calendar, right? For it to happen. That- Thank you. Yeah. So Easter is not like Christmas in that Christmas every year, December 25th, yeah. you know, it's going to be there. Yeah. Easter moves around because it follows Passover. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll follow your thing. I don't know if we follow the Jewish calendar specifically anymore, or if we say it's the first full, the first Sunday after the fourth full moon of the year or something weird like that. I forget the formula. Cause honestly, I don't care. And honestly, I would prefer it if they just said every year it's going to be the first Sunday in April. It'd be so much easier to plan, you know, or every year it's going to be April 10th, (laughs) no matter what. Why why do we do this? Welcome to my life. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Matt, like, at least, at least we use the calendar. (laughs) Yeah. That's silly. In fact, I was just watching a video, John Green. Do you know him? Uh, Yeah. Look him up on YouTube. He's got all these fun informational videos. And one of them, he was talking about how if we just made our calendar be 13 months, it would be even every year. And every month would have 28 days except the final month, the 13th month of the year would have 29. It was just like the bonus day. Then every year would have the same format every single time. Huh. December 25th would be on the same day of the week every single year. Oh. And you could plan it. And you wouldn't have to have all these weirdnesses going on. So 
Yeah, that would be better. Yeah. That would be way better. This Earth rotating around the sun is just uh, <laughs> less complicated. Yep. <laughs> so that's, I think that's it for Easter. Um, the question I have for you now is, do we move on to the Supreme Court or do we move on to Batman? Oh, let's go. We got some time. Let's go Supreme Supreme Court. Okay, so we're in the midst now. I don't know how long it takes for the turnaround before this comes out. Hopefully, uh, Katanji Brown Jackson will have been nominated uh, uh, through the confirmed. confirmed. Yeah, confirmed. Um, you know our own political uh, biases. I don't want to presume them for everybody. I'm hoping she gets confirmed, and then, uh, but at the moment, it's still the process of the confirmation hearings which I just read today, and I have not yet had a chance to confirm it, that confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominees were not always a thing. Oh. And the reason they did the first one was because the nominee was Jewish. No. Now, I have not yet... Wait, what? Right. I haven't yet confirmed this, and I'm guessing That's that would have been... anti-Semitism right there. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with anti-Semitism, but let me explain oh, it yeah, to you. Yeah, please do. I don't know. Please mansplain to me anti-Semitism. What, is that? what would that be called? Gentile-splaining? <laughs> Gentile-splaining. Yes. Gentile-splaining me. I would love that. Yes. I, so, again, I don't know if that's true. I haven't fact-checked it yet, but okay. that, I just read it today from a person that I know in real life, not just random Facebook person, and that person tends to be smart, you know, so I don't I mean, know. us two's are famous for being lawyers, that's for sure. <laughs> There's, well, okay, I'm not going to touch that one. With <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I hope she gets through, but one of the things uh, that I heard someone else mention, so I went and looked up, and this is fact-checked, that on the actual Republican National Committee webpage, it says 25, I think, 24 questions that are essential that we ask, and we have to get these answers before we can possibly confirm her, 25. Now, initially, I thought... That's good, right? The opposing party, in fact, both parties should have a list of questions. We have to understand these things before. Like if, yeah, you, if you were to say, hey, yeah. have you ever been to law school? And she goes, no. Well, maybe don't let her in. Right. right? Um, so it's good to have questions. The next thought that I thought was good was, you know, 25. That's a good amount. It, it's thorough, but it's not so many. I would think you could probably come up with 100 yeah. of really good ones. But let's let's prioritize and get the most important ones up there. That's why I was surprised to see the very last one on the list was, can students pray before football games at a school, at a high school? That was the 25th question they're going to ask. It might have been the 24th. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. It was one of the last questions. It was the uh, last one on the page, and I think there were 24 <laughs> on the page. And I'm thinking, that this had to pass a vetting process. Which questions are we going to highlight as the most important? And they put... Can students pray before a football game on there? And are they okay? Well, I I, I lost I have lots of questions. I just have the question. I do too, I, and I and, and this might be a bad format because I I might not have any answers. But are I, they I, saying I, a football game because it's kind of like it's not quite at school, right? It's 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 like an extracurricular thing. I don't I, think that's the reasoning. I think I think it's an outgrowth of the much older school prayer debate and should there be prayer at school? Yeah, and so maybe because this is like kind of one step away. Um, so it, it's, it, more, it's easier, it's more consumable to say, or it's easier to say prayer at football game and then which, instead of prayer at school. Is that is that the idea? Uh, well, I think it might be. I think it probably grows out of real life uh, incidents where a coach or another player were leading a prayer. I don't think it's a question of, you know, how come the linebacker has his eyes closed for 30 seconds before the coin toss, right? It's about a public 
moment, a uh, shared event. I guarantee you there's, there's praying happening at football games, no yeah. matter what you do, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> at least in individual prayer, you know. Like, if you're not a very good player and the ball's coming toward you, yeah, please you're going to be praying. Please, yeah. God, let me catch this ball. That's <laughs> exactly. a prayer right there. Yeah, and that's not what they're referring to. Okay. I'm guessing they're referring to, for example, the coach of the team saying, all right, let's huddle up. God, we pray for safety and victory. Okay, so that's one thing that might happen. Or perhaps it's just another student doing the same. And I think that's what they're referring to. Now, there there are plenty of conversations you can have on that topic, but the one question I have right at the moment is, how is that in your top 25? Yeah. How is that in the top 25 issues facing our country, which is in the midst of economic collapse, global pandemic, and potential World War III? How is high school football on your list? That's maddening and insane I, to me. I guess don't underestimate high school football. I I will continue to underestimate <laughs> and over. I, I think I I think it's been overestimated for so long. I can't understand why this is so important. But um, yeah, that's 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 crazy. And I, as someone I was chatting with today, also we were saying, well, this seems to have. It's a strange connection to football. They're not saying should we have prayer before cheerleading practice. Can we have prayer before the chess team, debate club, drama club, right? Why is it football? There's some weird sort of warlike mentality to football. I feel like every every high school trope, every high school movie Mm -hmm. you watch, football plays a key role in the level of popularity Mm -hmm. uh, a teenager has at that high school. Right, but there's also baseball games and soccer games, right? And so why would the Republican Party yeah. be beholden to these high school teenage movies? Is that what we're saying? Is is yeah. that where they're getting their information? <laughs> I hope so. Are they're saying we need to put our platform together. Quick, hand me a copy of Ferris Bueller. Oh, yeah. That would be great, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, just, I feel, I feel like that's you know, there's like what there's like a whole uh, popular show called Friday Night Lights, right? I, I've about, never watched it because I, I couldn't I care less about high school football. But, but, Although I'm told it's way better than I would expect, and I should watch it. Apparently, so it's done. It's well yeah, done. But yeah. but uh, essentially, it's I, I think there is a there is a mythos, if you will, uh, yes, of, of American culture. Where and where, here's what I think that mythos is: a the myth of redemptive violence, the myth of redemptive violence, and b toxic masculinity. That's what I think is rising these things to the top. Yeah, the myth of redemptive violence. We should talk about that another time because it's That's a lot. Oh, <laughs> but you know what that segues into? <laughs> Hold on, everyone. I just want to say that Matt's eyes are very wide right now. Because the myth of redemptive violence is central to Batman. Oh, no, we're segueing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just, yeah, I, yeah, I, I know. I'm just trying to think about your the, this, this 24th or 25th question yeah. um, to ask Supreme Court. Uh, nominee, and it's it's a fascinating one. It really mm-hmm. is. And I, you're right. There's like a lot of equivalent. Like, like you know, we could also say uh, prayer before a girls' soccer team. And why wouldn't team. they say like um, as their question, "What are your views on prayer in public school?" Yeah. Right there, you go. Okay. At least you're framing it now as literally an adult question. Yeah. Not a not a teenager one, right? And what are people doing at my at my high school? You can say, yeah, this is this is the our concept of what public institutions do and don't do when they're leading our children and teaching civics. All right, there you go. Now you have some intelligence to the question, but the question is framed in such a way as to provoke uh, misguided righteous anger and tribalism, in my yeah. opinion. 
Yeah. You know, it reminds me of like, um, so there was this horrible thing that happened um, in Poway, California, I believe, okay. where a um, essentially uh, a person with a gun came to a synagogue. Oh, uh, okay. And uh, it was a, happened to be a, something called a Chabad, so they're more orthodox synagogue. Okay. And, and a woman died. Oh, she was shot and killed. And the rabbi, she literally like saved her life. It saved this rabbi's life. She looked like she like, one of those moments where she like jumped in front wow. of the of, yeah. And so and so of course we we're all like mourning her loss, and we're all kind of like we had all these events. And and the rabbi was doing all these interviews with um, with you know various news outlets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he mentioned there should be prayer at schools. Oh. And like in these interviews, wow. Uh, he, he's like he he was like this proves. That there should be prayer in school. Now, I mean, like, is I mean, what happened was horrible, and like, right. I'm never going to diminish that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, there's, but it's weird that that, that was kind of like his when he had the when he had the stage. That's, that's one of the things yeah. that he he said, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I think it's a it's an interesting argument, and and it's and it's and it's there. Matt, like, I mean, and obviously it's this, this 24 or 25th question mm-hmm. is, uh, is, is part of that too. So that's prayer in schools. But, you know, you and I have talked already about the Pledge of Allegiance yeah, yeah. at school, which I think uh-huh. you're very much against from what I, from what I remember. I wouldn't say I'm against, I'm against it being compulsory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I wouldn't really, that's not, that's not a prayer, but you are, but you are mentioning God. Yeah. Uh, and so there's. It's a, very prayer-like. It's very, it's prayer, prayer adjacent. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so there are, there's that. Mm-hmm. And maybe the fear is that the argument would get, would get into that argument as well. And they want to. I don't think that's the fear. I think that's the hope. That's, I oh, think I think hope. I think oh, that yeah. might be why it's framed exactly that way. It's a it's designed to be a wedge. Yeah. And if that's your goal, then all right, you know, then this, you've already got your reward, I suppose, because that's yeah, that yeah. You're just causing harm. But anyways, Batman. Oh, geez, Louise. We're back to Batman. We finally we did it. Yeah. We, we, we got to up. the end of the podcast. <laughs> So the myth of redemptive violence is a trope in storytelling. I don't believe it's specifically American. I'm trying to remember who came up with it, but I, I mean, you see it all the way back in ancient literature. Is that vigilantism? Is that the idea? Uh, it's it's not necessarily. Not only, but the, it's essentially you see it over and over again that someone has to yeah take vengeance or commit violent acts in order to set things right again, and it somehow has a redemptive effect by being violent um, and. Time and time again in history, we see that does not work. You know, there's no redemptive power to killing somebody for your own rebalance. And I think in both of our faith traditions and in most people that we know and respect and admire in the world, we would say that vengeance is a horrible meal to sustain yourself it's not, it's on. It's not justice. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's not the way to go. And in the newest Batman movie, I haven't seen it. I don't want well, to. It has a, uh, who's the, uh, Pat, Pat, uh, not Pat Oswalt. It's Cedric Diggory from, Diggory. Harry, from Harry Potter movies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Robert Pattinson? Yeah. Okay. So man. I think one of the, the lines he says in the movie is, I am vengeance. Oh, no. And they always say it all gritty and dark and, oh, I'm so tough and uh, I have no colors in my entire life. And But and I am vengeance. for his whole life apparently too. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I think in like the, the thought being he disguises his voice so uh, no one knows he's Bruce Wayne. But uh, that's stupid too. Okay. Um, <laughs> he has all this amazing technology. He can't get one of those little things in your voice box that just like changes your voice. We have those in real life. Batman can't get one. Anyway. Uh I am vengeance is what he's saying. And really, that's what the story is. The story is about a a sad child 
who loses his parents and then goes on to lose his own life as well because he's devoted it to beating up people instead of helping people. He's got billions and billions of dollars in this one city alone that is all he's focusing on. It's in Gotham. Yeah, Yeah. he's, he's only focusing on Gotham. With his billions, he could have the most redemptive justice system. Right. Sounds he like could, he needs to talk to some kind of clergy. Right. He could rehabilitate <laughs> criminals and send them off <laughs> into the world doing. Talk to Batman. Yeah. yeah. I'll <laughs> tell you, man, it's so frustrating. And and again, I won't give any spoilers, but I will say, see the newest Spider-Man movie and see what Peter Parker's motivations are and what they become throughout the movie. Oh. And it's he's a um, high schooler. There you go. Should right. he he's pray before football? Out. He's already figuring it out in high school with Batman. <laughs> Never figured it out his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Batman is is dead to me. I will Yikes. no longer engage in Batman hijinks unless it's the old school stupid one from the 60s. I'm going to agree with you, but then I'm going to watch every Batman that comes out from now until whenever. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's fun. You can't help how fun it is. I can. Mm, see, see the here's the thing. Is, so is it, though, is it fun anymore? Oh, oh no. When When there's no color in it, the main character never smiles or has any type of joy whatsoever. Sure. Whenever sure. there is some type of joy to him, he's like, I can't have this because I am the knight. And he runs he is, away. He is the knight. And yeah. then usually whoever he falls in love with either turns out to be a villain or ends up dead. D- dies drastically. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so <laughs> dies drastically. Yeah. So does it, is there any joy? When was the last time you had a joyful moment at a Batman movie or reading a Batman comic book? Is there any joy in it whatsoever? I I would posit, Your Honor, that there is none. There is no joy to be found in Batman. Even when he wins, all he succeeded in doing is is horribly assaulting a person who is mentally ill. Oh boy. I just I, I don't know. I, I think that like 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 Batman just has the ability to like take out those those bad guys that are like above the law. Right, you know, Gordon, Gordon, Police Commissioner Gordon, right, mm-hmm. is the is the police guy that should be able to like do all his job. But when he, he when he can't do his job, he mm-hmm. lights the bat signal, the symbol of hope, if you will, and Batman comes flying in. Is it the symbol of hope though, or <laughs> is it the symbol of the wealthy billionaire oh, no. oligarch class becoming oh, no. their own militarized force? <laughs> Imagine you think, you think all the fun. Imagine if Jeff Bezos showed up in your city, if he was rolling down the street oh of, of Anchorage in a tank, saying, "Don't worry, I'm taking care of crime all by myself." Would you trust it? I mean, if he had my Amazon package, I might. <laughs> He's like, here you go. Here's your books. Also, I murdered ten people who were not yet convicted of any crime. I just decided they were bad, so I I beat the crap out of them. I'm like, thanks. I appreciate the perler beads. <laughs> Batman is Bezos with a gun. That's my that's my final statement. He doesn't use guns. Oh, he does too. No, he doesn't. That is the biggest cop out. He has the most advanced weaponry of all. He just calls them not a gun. Yeah. But he's got like like the Batmobile is a tank. And he's got all these things that zap and destroy and encapsulate and constrict. And he has killed villains over time. <laughs> they always find a way to make like, oops, it was an accident. <laughs> he fell. Whoa. But no, come on. He's out there assaulting people on a rooftop and he's surprised someone fell off. He's a murderer. Oh, my God. He's a straight up murderer. Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> watch next Batman movie. It's coming out soon. Don't watch it. Watch Spider-Man. He has the best lesson of all superheroes. Okay. With great power 
comes great responsibility. He's we got know a moral to the story. Very Batman's popular. moral to the story is if something bad happens to you, it defines the rest of your life forever at the expense of any joy you might have had. That's the point of yeah, Batman. It's so fun to watch that, though. It's not! <laughs> I think Matt and I are going to disagree on this one. So. Man, I'll tell you, this is why I don't like Jewish people. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's not take that one out of context, Matt. Let's keep that one deep in context. That's right. You know, 10 years from now, I'm going to run for office, and that's Someone's going to find this clip. Find. They're going to yeah. copy and paste it. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> All right, y'all. Uh, thank you so much for listening this far. Yeah. <laughs> if you've gotten this far, uh, you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, so you can see us in action. Uh, Matt's, uh, you're meeting kind of in person. We are. We're our our COVID rules are taking slow but steady yeah. steps toward reopening. So our hope is that on Easter morning, which is uh, just a few weeks away at this point, uh, we'll have a maybe a hundred or so people in person. We're, we'll see. It's yeah. hard to predict. We're opening up too. Yeah. Uh, we're hoping Passover evening. Nice that we too will have that many people show up. Um, we'll Nifty. see. We're still dealing with the uh, maybe. It's a lot of maybes. Yeah, um, same. But uh, same. but we're opening up. So yeah. But you can also if you want to see uh, me online, I'm at. Um, YouTube, Alaska Judaism Media, and uh, yeah, uh, you can just Google First Presbyterian Church of Anchorage, Alaska, and you'll find all the usual ways of uh, tuning in and getting info and interacting. All right, and a big thank you to the Mutual Brothers for the sound design and James Brown for our logo, and thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>